What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site right in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money, and here's what's on tap tonight. A meta melt-up, shares surging after earnings, that stock clocking in its third best day of all time. And it wasn't the only mega cap moving higher, so with the biggest tech names at or near their all-time records, can you still make money buying them? Plus, an energized trade, Exxon and Chevron bucking the impact of lower oil prices and posting earnings beats. Will these stocks lead a rebound in the beaten down energy sector? And later on, big tech results may be in the rearview mirror, but next week there are a ton of big names reporting. You got Cat, Lily, Disney, Uber, and more. We'll pull the traders for their ones on the radar screen. I'm Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee tonight. Coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. And on the desk tonight, we have Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen, and Steve Grasso in the comfort of his home. And we start with a news alert. Fed Governor Michelle Bowman just making some headlines at the top of this hour. Steve Leisman joins us with what she's saying. Steve. Dom, thanks very much. Fed Governor Michelle Bowman, she's one of the more hawkish members of the committee making comments at this hour saying it will eventually become appropriate to gradually lower the Fed funds rate if inflation continues to decline. She says, however... They're not yet at the point to cut rates. She sees inflation declining. She's encouraged by the recent decline in inflation, but declining with the policy rate held at the current level. Upside inflation risks remain. She mentions geopolitical situation, uh, the easing of financial conditions, and continued labor market tightening. Indeed, she's tightness. She's indeed talking about the December jobs report, said it shows a very strong pace of job gains. And the recent report, she says, and the recent reports, both months, suggest progress has stalled on restoring balance to the jobs market. She's concerned that labor market tightness could lead to persistently higher core service inflation. She'll remain cautious, she says, in considering future changes to policy and reducing the rate too soon, she says, could require future increases. As she has said in the past, she remains willing to raise the funds rate. We'll talk more, I guess, Dom, later about the Fed and this jobs market. But for now, back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve Leesman, for those Michelle Bowman headlines. We're going to get right back to you in just a few minutes on today's big jobs number as well. But let's turn now to the week that might have been proven that big tech is still in its leadership position and that leadership is here to stay. Investors fear of a tech reckoning wiped out by an absolutely massive move in the shares of Meta. Those shares today jumping more than 20 percent for a mega cap technology stock after posting a huge profit beat, giving better than expected guidance and announcing its first ever dividend. That's not closing at a course record high. Today's surge adding $206 billion in market cap. Now, just to put that in perspective, that's more than a Cisco systems in just one day of trading. CEO Mark Zuckerberg made $28 billion by himself on the move. The mega caps rally today just heightens its outperformance so far this year. The market cap weighted S&P is up more than 4% in 2024, and it's still young. The equal weighted index is basically flat There was a lot of fear that big tech's run had come too far too fast. 
But did this week's results prove the gains were actually justified? And this is where we start, Karen. You're in Meta. Yes. It's actually a fairly decent position for you. So what are you doing now? Yes. Um, I mean, it was delightful on the one hand, but then it's sort of, oh, shoot, now what do I do, right? It's bigger. So just as a portfolio management issue, you got to decide how big do I want any position to be. I didn't do anything today, but I will be selling upside calls. And Bonwin and I were talking about this in the green room. Something probably at least one quarter out. Um, maybe two, and probably like in the 550 range. Um, you know, we'll see how pumped they are. But I got to take some money off the table. It's it's different than selling stock. If the stock were to go down from here, you sold calls. That's nice. You make a little money. You lose money when you're long the stock. But I, I don't want to be out. I do think this was an extraordinary quarter, and one could argue it might be better today than it was yesterday i don't know about that but um i do have to t- just pair the exposure somewhat tim i think it's uh it's interesting it's not uber bearish just bearish a little well i i think it's a dynamic that back to karen's point about facebook being worth more today than yesterday look at least what the street did in terms of their upgrades they didn't just say price is higher so i'm going to put up my target although that does happen i you know, like, like mark mahaney at evercore ton of respect for for what mahaney has been doing and he's basically upgrading the multiple on the stock and it's based upon a kager now that we have some vision on in the company especially also in a world where they have free cash flow and this was also not just the year of efficiency but it was the quarter of free cash flow and and, and And so if you're talking about a Kager of 23 times, which Mark Mahaney is, then suddenly you've got a company that you could probably put at a 24 or 25 multiple. That changes everything because, again, we were at an 18 multiple uh, six months ago. We were at a 14 multiple a year ago. And and it really depends on what you want to pay. What we've seen and back to the point about the equal weighted versus the market weighted, uh, small caps have underperformed the S&P, the weighted market weighted by almost 5 percent. Small caps were down today. I mean, it tells you what's going on with this market the crowding out i think there's a lot of fomo uh to miss out on this mag seven i think again a lot of that money that's in money market funds is money that says oh man and and i thought at least this year it was going to trade down i'd have a chance to buy this stuff i think we're going to see even more melt up okay bonowin yeah so tim talked about the difference between the mag seven and the rest of the market and i want to take it a step further i want to make sure that i don't conflate Meta with even the rest of the MAG-7 or what may no longer be in the MAG-7. This is squarely a Meta story. And in terms of multiples and ability to kind of chase this thing, listen, adding all of that market cap and that move in one day, given the size of the company, would give one pause. You don't expect this to continue unabated to the upside without there being at least some type of profit taking, even if there's no adverse bearish type of sentiment within the stock. And then the second thing is, uh, to Tim's point earlier about free cash flow, I think anytime a company comes out and issues a dividend, particularly one in the the upper echelons of the growth sector, it it says two things. One, uh, we're in a strong cash position, strong capital position, and we're happy to return um, value to shareholders. And two, perhaps we find that this is a better way for us to return capital than any other uh, investment strategy that one may have. So I think this is a complete 180 from the, the days when Meta seemed to be spending money frivolously without capital discipline. And so, I mean, there's, there's really not much to knock on the quarter and underscores the importance of these companies within the S&P. Grasso, it's, uh, for the record, 36 times forward earnings. What do you think? Yeah, so if you look at it, so you talked about the, Timmy talked about the uh, year of efficiency. The, the issue is they cut costs by 8%. Their operating income is up over 150%. And to, to pick right up, that, so that's all good stuff. To pick up right where bottom one left off, 
It's great when they're cutting costs. The market doesn't like when they start to spend an atrocious amount of money on the metaverse. If they continue to cut costs and run efficient, it's great. If you look at the technicals on the stock, everyone covered a lot of the fundamentals. Technicals on the stock a year ago, it had a golden cross, which means the 50-day moving up through the 200-day, and the stock has not looked back. Do you expect it to pull back a little bit? Of course, these flagpole uh, type days are usually sold to Karen's point where she started. If you're a fund manager, you have to trim. It depends on how much you want to trim, but I would expect some trimming in the in the next couple of days. But when you have revenue growth that is top line revenue, revenue growth best in two years, there's not a lot to complain about at this print. Karen, yeah. a, a last thought from you because you have such that large position. Right. I'm sorry. It got, it got, I know. I know. <laughs> right. No, I know it is. Awful. This stock I know hammered. the feeling of what, yes. The, this stock got hammered because they yes. said they were spending too much money. And I was wrong at the time. Billions and billions a quarter. So and I apparently now it's all going to work out for the better. Apparently. I mean, just the strength of this, Steve talked about it, uh, you know, that, gr- that acceleration of growth is really quite tremendous. I. I think it's in the mid-20s, of not, not a higher multiple. So that is not crazy. And I think also it came from a place between it and, and uh, Alphabet. They were the cheapest of the MAG7 or whatever they are left now um, by far. So this is some catch-up plus some FOMO. Plus, maybe the dividend thing, which I did wasn't. I, I know you think that's important. Well, Karen and I yeah. debated for the folks <laughs> at home. Karen and I debated today on our midday I, call. I, I, I said, I, I, I said I of the you. of okay. the how much was met up today? Oh, 20, how much was it? There's FOMO but, in there. But, but I, I think you know of the 21 percent move today. I, I I was arguing that 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 half of that was related to uh, if they had not announced a div and the kind of buyback, but the div specifically that I think we would have done half of today. And Karen really pushed back hard. Now, is um, that because though? Is that because half. just by pay, now? First First of all, the dividend, the implied dividend yield yeah. on this is nothing. Nothing, exactly. It's absolutely right. nothing. But, but what for this markets does, a lot. And that's not just that, though. That means this opens up the market for certain fund managers who have mandates where they can yes. only have yep. investments in certain dividend-paying stocks, even if it's just a penny a share. Right. right, Bonowin? This is this is a, an accessibility thing for more money to come into Meta. Exactly. We talk about target adjustable market all the time, typically w- within another framework, but essentially at what you're saying, the possible investor base has been expanded. That, coupled with the FOMO, if you will, coupled with the fact that you actually aren't necessarily seeing this same strength in other pockets, even within the technology complex, all kind of serve as tailwinds for, for these shares. It made me sad about Google, underperforming. I'm long, uh, that's a big position as well. Really, in, in light, I thought the cloud was good, but then when I saw this today, that made their, uh, their earnings even more disappointing. Cloud was good. They just they stole the show. They just stole the show. Yeah. But, but the story, you know, like when Apple really stood out there and said, we have a lot of flexibility with our balance sheet to do different things. And, and even during a period where they haven't been growing earnings, they, they've been a go-to in terms of their ability to buy back shares, also to bring up EPS. I think with Facebook, when you go back to the days of the metaverse and when it was going bad and going sour, all people wanted to do was hear them get in off of that metaverse ledge because and get back to their core business, which is which is a cash machine. I mean, the gross margin on their their core business is through the roof. So all we've been saying is get back to a place where we can actually look at a company and, you know, maybe First of all, plenty of innovation, and that's a lot of what's going on here. But even if we had their core business before AI, people thought that this was the story. I want the free cash flow, and I'll be comfortable enough with that. And that's what they delivered. And now they're giving you both, both sides of the aisle. Steve, I'm going to give the last word to you here. 
Yeah, so I just want to jump in and defend uh, Alphabet. Not that it needs any defending on this desk because everyone really loves it. If you look at search, Alphabet, has been, it's at 92% market share. That's unbelievable with the competitive market that you have now. The second most visited site is YouTube. And if you look at where they are in cloud, they're third behind AWS and Azure, Microsoft. This is going to be a great year in the market. I'll button it up right here. Technicals on Alphabet. Market gave you a, gave you a present here. Stopped almost to the penny on its 50-day. I'm looking for more strength going forward, Alphabet. All right. So let's turn now to the economy because it added more jobs than expected in January by a lot. Non-farm payroll is growing by 353,000 jobs. That was almost double consensus estimates. Let's get back to CNBC's senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, for more on that big job story. And then we'll talk about why it didn't tank the tech market. Yeah, Dom, I think the story was both the strength of the of the number, which I, I would sort of attenuate a little bit because the seasonal adjustment factors may have played a role in it, uh, making it hotter than it otherwise would appear. But it was still pretty strong. And, and really what I was looking at was those revisions, Dom, which showed, uh, you know, 126,000 plus for the prior uh, put revisions upward for the prior two months. And so you have two months in a row of plus three. And then you got to worry about what Bowman's talking about. Do do Fed officials start to think that the progress towards the loosening of the job market has stalled here. And certainly what's happening when you look at the, there are those non-farm payrolls number and the hourly wage numbers, which I, I don't really like those numbers so much from the government. I tend to follow the ADP wage numbers. They have been on the way down at 5.2 percent higher, but on the way down on a year over year basis. But if you look at the probabilities, March has kind of been dialed out. And some questions now about maybe if, is May the right month here? Uh, the Fed, I think, Dom, is going to take, a, take a, a, a couple months to make up its mind. And, and Powell, I think, is looking right from Wednesday, saying, you know what, we should relax here and let think, let, let's look at some more data. Hey, Steve, I know you're going to jump in here. Yeah, I, yeah I'm sorry. Uh, so, Steve, I, I've been, I've been you know, talking about this for a while. Can the Fed do still have quantitative tightening while they are cutting? Or is our signal going to be when they stop QT? Because it seems like there's a, a push-pull, and, and I know you could handle two things at once. So the second thing is, with a political year, an election year cycle, don't they want to stay as politically agnostic as possible and try to front-load those cuts, even though March is thrown off a cliff? Maybe there's an opening for March just to smooth out that chart. Yeah, I, I don't think March would be a reason to do that. I think they can still achieve the same effect of staying clear of the election by going in May, uh, maybe going in June as well. Um, you know, uh, Goldman has those four successive cuts built in now starting in May. I've been, as you know, Steve, in the every other camp uh, uh, when it comes to rate cuts. I think that that. Uh, Powell wants to go uh, uh, kind of cautiously here, so he might want to cut, take a break, cut. Uh, he may also want to do it beginning in June, which would have the benefit of going on those uh, uh, meetings when they have the uh, summary of economic projections or their forecast. So that's one thing. And yes, they can and will, I believe, be cutting rates while they're still reducing the balance sheet. Those rate cuts are expected to happen sometime in the spring, or early summer. But the uh, quantitative tightening is not supposed to end or at least not, not forecast right now in the surveys that we do, Steve, to end until sometime in the fall. Hey, Steve, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Uh, I heard you this morning, and I wasn't sure I got it quite right, to be honest. It was sort of on a little bit in the background. But 
sort of perked up when I saw you there. Did you say that you think Chair Powell knew these numbers or did not know these numbers when he really took March off the table? No, I'm glad you asked that question. I, I was sort of joking around. I said, Maybe Powell knew something, you know, knew something about what was going to happen. And really what I was saying was that he made the right call by being uh, cautious on, on Wednesday. Um, I don't think he knew something. There's some possibility that they get one piece of the jobs report for another report they have to put together. But overall, the Fed, as I understand it, does not get those numbers. Certainly not by Wednesday. They're distributed on Thursday night to a few people inside the White House and maybe at the Fed, but not by Wednesday. All right, Steve Leisman with the report there on the state of the jobs. Thank you very much, Steve. Have a nice weekend. Tim, let's send it over to you. What are your thoughts here? Well, I, I think it, it just all this underscores these job numbers uh, where financial conditions are, which are, are extremely loose, the stock market that's running crazy, um, yields that have come down a lot. I mean, it just tells you where how turbocharged we were coming out of covid and all the accommodation and and frankly why the fed and all of us have never seen this before um, the fed is phillips curve persuade so in other words or obsessed which is the relationship between the job market and inflation uh, i think they are so focused on this and that's what we heard powell say the other day i, I think these numbers push the fed significantly back and granted we have a couple more uh, payroll numbers before we really get to the time we thought that they were going to hike uh, and one more thing i'd say that's kind of a, a an economic kind of dynamic, which is a, a, a cut isn't necessarily easing. So in other words, if, if financial conditions are becoming more restrictive and they're not cutting enough to get below that uh, and real rates are continuing to go higher, then they're actually in a restrictive mode right now. And that's what some people think is going on. That's another topic for another day. Bonwin, what do you think? I mean, I think all of this just makes the Fed's job that much faster. And I'd, I'm going to dare, dare step out on a limb and say, listen, if we continue to see these numbers, whether it's productivity, wage growth, um, payroll numbers, I think all of these things might get us to a point where we start asking the question, is the Fed actually going to pivot from cutting within this calendar year? If you look at what the probabilities were on the March cut coming into the year, it was a given. And now we're saying that it's even unlikely that's going to happen in one May. One in five. Yeah. One in five chance that it happens. I mean, cut. what are the chances that we actually have a strong enough economy and a strong enough labor market where cuts are actually taken off or at least pushed back to the, the last quarter of the year? What, is that, what are the implications of the market if that happens? All right, guys, coming up on the show, we're catching up on today's high-energy earnings. We got Chevron and ExxonMobil posting results before the opening bell today. What's next for the sector coming up after this? Plus, Apple's first new product in nine years is now on sale. So can VR make a dent in the AI trade? We'll get more details on all the acronyms after this. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big day for earnings in energy. ExxonMobil beating profit estimates even as revenues fell short of expectations. CEO Darren Woods saying energy prices and margins started to normalize in 2023. Chevron, meanwhile, seeing shares rise nearly 3%. That company saying it returned a record $26 billion to shareholders in the form of dividends and share buybacks last year. Steve Grasso, is this the beginning of an energy renaissance for the big oil companies out there? I don't think so. I think I think uh, oil had its time about a year ago. I think all these energy stocks had their time, their day in the sun. You know, Tim talks accurately that these companies are run more efficiently than they've ever been run in the past. That just doesn't equate to higher stock prices. It's, it's, they can't break away from trading and tracking the, the uh, underlying commodity, Dom. And right now, the, it seems to me with all the geopolitical news that we've had, with the state of the world that we've had, oil should be trading 30% higher. It's not. It's oversupplied. That's a negative headwind. And last thing, if you look at where um, Hess and Chevron and Exxon and Pioneer announced their mergers, all four of those players are lower today in stock price, negative for the market. Tim, what do you think? I, th- I think that the valuations in the sector have never been more attractive relative to the S&P. So oil companies are always cheap. It's nothing about, like, if you look at the multiple, whether it's EV, EBITDA, or PE. But um, I look at what Chevron did on that. We're talking, you know, again, we're talking about, you hear the word record, record for Chevron, okay? Record in terms of buybacks and div payout. They raised their dividend another 8%. This is a company that breaks even on their div, probably around 40 eight dollar oil they brought their debt to you know debt to equity levels also down dramatically so um i guess you know to me i I love energy i love it in this year it's not you know you're not getting the growth in the energy sector you're getting in other places but you are getting companies i also think that in chevron's case uh that deal with hess is fantastic and again those guiana assets are some of the best assets in the world on the upstream i I like chevron a lot and i like exxon okay bono and quick thought to you well, I just think one thing is that the, the current rate environment makes the dividend attractiveness of these companies, it, it has a dampening effect on them. To Tim's point, I think these companies are very well run, and over the longer term, they, you probably want them based on valuation, free cash flow, and share buybacks alone. But if you're playing the fast money game, which we, which we are, the opportunity cost of investing <laughs> here and not in growth just makes it tough for you to own them. All right. There's a lot more fast money here to come. So here's what's coming up next after the break. A new vision for Apple, the tech titan unveiling its flagship VR headset. But can the hype live up to its hefty price tag? We'll debate. Plus, more trouble for Tesla, the EV maker recalling more than 2 million cars, its second major recall in less than a month. So with the stock slumping, is now the time to kick this Tesla to the curb? Our traders are revved up on this one. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rising to close out the trading week. Both the Dow and the S&P posting another set of record closes. 
And the Nasdaq surging nearly 2%, boosted by meta platforms. The tech-heavier index now less than 3% away from its own record high. But it wasn't all smiles today. Charter communications plunging, as you can see there, more than 16% after a big bottom line miss before the opening bell. Tim, are there any other moves in the market today that have caught your eye besides meta and charter? Well, I, I, I looked at anything that was real economy was under pressure today. And I looked at some of the miners that I, you know, we talked about gold miners yesterday. So I have to be consistent and say, you know, I was way wrong yesterday in terms of making a call to go buy something today. Fortunately, I don't think that's how people watch our show. Um, I do think you have a dynamic here where, you know, you look at some of the industrial names. It was a tough time. I think, uh, you know, Charter and some other parts of the communication space, uh, look, after a very, very good run. And again, if you if you look at the charts on some, uh, at least, you know, your Verizon's, your AT&T's and some of these names, they've had a very good run. And those things were under pressure today. And Altria, which had great numbers out yesterday, rallied almost 4%, which is like a 15% move for a tech company, um, actually gave a lot of it back today. So that, to me, is what is interesting. Again, small caps were down a couple percent on a day when you saw uh, most of the market go higher. It tells you the divergence we have. Interest rates probably a part of that story. All right, guys, coming up on the show, Apple's new vision. We'll dig into that tech titan's big headset bet. Will its first new product in nine years live up to all the hype? Plus, Disney, Chipotle, Snap, headline a huge slate of earnings. Coming up next week, we'll take a look at the key reports and check out how the options market is setting up for those trades. We've got more Fast Money coming up after this. Missed a moment of Fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Okay, so what you're seeing there on the screen is Apple CEO Tim Cook greeting customers at the flagship store right here in New York City, actually, about Fifth Avenue this morning, as the company's new VR headset goes on sale. The $3,500 Vision Pro is the first new Apple product since the Apple Watch launched back in 2015. The stock, by the way, closed down by a half a percent or so today, well off its lows of the day. It had been down more than 4% after the company hinted at a slowdown in iPhone sales and weakness in China last night. So can the Vision Pro turn things around? Joining me now is LifeWire's U.S. Editor-in-Chief, Lance Ulanoff. He's got the headset with him right now. So is it yep. worth the big sticker price, the $3,500 question? <laughs> well, uh, you know what? Almost. I mean, here's the thing. It's an incredible piece of technology. I've got it right here. Um, you know, Apple keeps talking about spatial computing. They want people to think about that and not think necessarily about augmented reality or virtual reality. And so this is a computer on your face. It does so much more than maybe what a typical virtual reality headset would do. It is a beautifully designed piece. It's got the best resolution of any VR headset uh, or mixed reality headset I've ever worn. I mean, everything about it feels high end. And the experience is well, transformative. It's it's something special. But the reality is, I can't imagine that a lot of people are going to drop $3,500 for this because it's just so much money. I mean, you can talk to them all day about what a powerful piece of technology is I can control with my eyes, I can control with a gesture. But, you know, that's a lot of money. Lance, uh, that thing is a piece of serious hardware. Uh, the really question is. I have is, how heavy is it? You put it on your face uh, and you put it around your so head. Weighs, I mean, is it wearing like a weight? It weighs 1.3 pounds. 
you can see, I think you can see here, there are a couple of bands, right? And that is actually not the default band. It ships with two bands. It ships with the dual loop band and the wide band. I needed to use this band in order for it to be comfortable for me to get support on top and the back. But this is the first VR headset, first mixed reality headset I've ever worn for literally hours. And that's because you do more than just play games, watch movies, browse the web. You get work done. So I connected to my MacBook Pro and, and pop up a virtual Mac screen. And it is about 150 inches wide. And I have all of my apps going on, and I'm able to do work in a way I've never done before uh, because the resolution is so good. It's not like, oh, it's so big I can't read anything. I can read everything, and I can move the screen around with my fingers and just put it wherever I want. So I just work, and then sometimes I turn and I have some fun. But that's something that you don't normally do with a headset like this. Uh, it's Karen, thanks for being on. So it looks like something that a couple of years from now, we will look back on that and go, wow, that was that was kind of a clunky looking thing. Um, and it, <laughs> maybe it's going to be very different. How do you think about it versus the Ray-Ban? And I know they have different uses, but how do you compare the two? Well, there's certain subtlety to the Ray-Ban, uh, you know, Meta's Ray-Ban. It's, it's basically a partnership between Meta and Ray-Ban. And, you know, you're getting sort of just a little bit of information. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have the kind of, you know, it doesn't have screens like this. It's it's not really in the same category, honestly. Uh, but it's the kind of wearable that more people will wear because no one will look at them and go, what is that on your face? And And, you know, honestly, I've been wearing this around the house and I do get those looks from my family. Like, what exactly are you doing? Because it's so unusual. Lance, if I if if I can just ask you, would you mind putting it on for us just for yes, a moment well, there so we can actually kind of see <laughs> what sure, this thing looks like on a, per, on a person? Can you fit your glasses on? Can you you have to take them off? No, no. Very important to know. Oh, by the way, I should say I'm U.S. editor in chief of Tech Radar. But I meant to tell you that. Um, but one thing to know is that if you wear glasses, uh, then you will need these Zeiss inserts that are right in here. They cost $149. They have your prescription. You cannot wear your glasses while you're wearing these. So if I put this on, it's going to turn on right away. Uh, I can still see you, by the way. Okay. So what I'm doing is I just logged in. Okay, you can't see what I'm seeing, uh, but I have right. Well, I can. The way I do things is I move stuff around. I just pinch to activate something. Basically, say open this up, and if there's a window I like, I pick it up and I move it around. You can't see that, uh, but if we were in the room together and we start talking to each other, what you would see is something called eyesight. My eyes would start to appear here. So the cameras on the inside take a sort of a, a, a vi visual of my eyes and recreate them on the outside. I will say it's a little weird. It doesn't look fantastic, but it's a way of still staying connected with people on the outside. There's also something called personas, which uh, creates, you take this off and you shoot your face, basically. It creates a whole 3D rendering of you. And then when you're on a FaceTime call, that's what appears. Not you with the headset, but this, this 3D. Well, Lance, for $3,500, it better do a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Thank you very much, and thanks for showing us 
the hardware as well. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend, sir. Uh, Grasso, let's talk about this. It's 3,500 bucks, first new product in nine years, yada, yada, yada. Is this something that maybe moves the needle for you, investment thesis-wise, on Apple? Uh, investment. Th- First of all, I'm usually an early adopter. 3,500 is is too much to be an early adopter with this. I don't I don't see the uh, the spatial computing really pulling me in just yet. It's it's higher than the rest of the field. Um, when you look at it on a stock level, though, if you look at their earnings, they had strong double digit growth in emerging markets. Record. We talked about Tim talked about the word record when it came to Chevron record installed base and record number of upgrades. They still have four of the six best-selling phones in China. The stock on the technicals dipped below its 200-day moving average for a smidge today. Watch that level, 182 and a half. I'd be a buyer of Apple around these levels. All right, guys, just for the record, our own Todd Hazelton at CNBC reviewed it as well. He calls it the future of computing and entertainment. Coming up on the show, it's almost time to reveal our chart of the week. What had shares of this company revving up? Yes, that's a clue in the mystery chart. And later on, the biggest tech earnings may be behind us, but nearly 100 of the S&P 500 companies are set to report next week. Which ones should you watch? We'll get answers in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to reveal our chart of the week, General Motors. The stock gaining more than 10% for its best week in two months. On Tuesday, the company reporting a better-than-expected Q4 result and gave strong guidance for the current year. Tim, you point out GM is now 46% above its 52-week low that it made back in November. Yeah, I mean, this has been a a major turnaround. Of course, we've gotten through the strike, but I I think this was a a story about a company that's, this is always the case with GM. They pop on earnings because they actually deliver decent numbers. They talk about companies that never been run better, at least in their recent history. The guidance they gave on the North American, uh, you know, internal, you know, the old ICE engines was fantastic. Again, the core business that gets no credit is the one that actually, I think, is starting to give people a dynamic. The the whole concept of, of where you actually have hybrids that are beginning to look like maybe the futures now, even though GM has invested a lot, it gives them more credit on their core business. Uh, I think you stay long. All right, uh, GM, what do you think, Karen? I didn't stay long. I gave up too soon, and that was uh, that was not the right move. But it, it's not crazy expensive now by any stretch, no. right? It's just where, you know, I come get back to the EV race, which I think will be on again at some point, and they're going to be... Sadly, very behind it. Bonowin, what do you think? Yeah, well, I wonder what the GM strength really essentially says about the EV space, right? Because they have been the ones that came out and said, we're going to push back this whole push to EV. You've seen the weakness in Ford. You've seen the weakness in Tesla versus the strength in GM. And I think what you're seeing is there's still, you know, a real demand case for the uh, old combustible combustible engine. And the, the immediate rush that we had into EV may be pushed back. And a concentration on the old economy might really be what drives earnings forward. All right. Speaking of EVs, let's talk Tesla. Shares under pressure today after the company recalled 2.2 million of its EVs due to warning lights that regulators say are too small and pose a safety risk in an emergency. And with the stock losing almost a quarter of its value just since the start of January, should investors proceed with caution? Steve, the EV trade. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's in the EV trade, there's Tesla, there's everybody else. Obviously, Tesla's stock story is an Elon Musk personality story. I, I'm not a hater of Elon Musk, but a lot of the investment community seems to hate him and want to take it out in his stock. He's got a world of headwinds coming at him right now. But when you look at EVs, to Bonowin's point, 
The federal government kind of pushed these mandates where everyone was trying to get off of fossil fuels. They pushed it a little bit too hard. You got to see us transition into hybrids first, then full electric. So I think you're seeing a confluence of events that are definitely impactful to the stock. At a certain point, you get back to never bet against Musk for any extended periods of time. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. By the way, the conversation we'll have at another time is how Toyota is benefiting from hybrids as opposed to pure EV mm-hmm. rice. Anyway, Tesla stock is far underperforming the rest of the magnificent seven so far this year. And of the six that have already reported earnings, it is the only one of those that has missed expectations. So if Tesla were hypothetically kicked out of the Mag 7, who should replace it? Karen, this is controversial here. What do you think? Yes, I don't feel like a need to replace, but that's not the game we're in, right? So we got to play the game. I just went with ServiceNow, which was, you know, clearly a tangential play to AI. And they're just crushing it right now. And I think they've got a lot of growth still to come. Um, I mean, they couldn't have been more optimistic on the call. So ServiceNow. Steve, what do you think? That was my first comment when I, when I saw this. Why do I have to replace it? I wouldn't take Tesla out of there. But as Karen said, if the game is this, we got to go with Broadcom. So AVGO, sort of an under-the-radar semiconductor play. And when you look at their net margins, they came from 28% a couple of years ago all the way up to 40%. And that's in the ballpark of an NVIDIA or an AMD So they're somewhat less of a hidden semiconductor play, but they're there. Broadcom would be my play. All right, Tim, what do you think? Well, Mag7 is both art and science. I mean, the science here is these are just the market caps of the company. So, so Tesla's in, not in the Mag7 because it's now a $600 billion or just barely even less market cap. Uh, it's Eli Lilly. I mean, part of this is doing the math. Part of this is doing some of the art around this. It's, it's the pizzazz. It's the growth. It's a company that's innovating. And, and that's kind of what we're doing in Mag7s, even though Mag7s, by definition, I, I think are just the largest companies in the world. They happen to be the ones innovating. But Lilly fits the fits the bill on market cap and everything else in terms of what they're doing. And it's, you know, you could argue biotech even. All right. Not tech tech. Bonowin, what are you thinking? Well, I came to the same conclusion, although I think I followed the, the Bachelor of Arts as opposed to Bachelor of Sciences, like my <laughs> colleague Tim. So listen, I think look, when you're looking for a MAG7 definition, essentially you're looking for something that has growth potential, that has a margin of safety, large target uh, adjustable market, and brand awareness. And so the, the rest of these companies essentially have been transformative in what they offer the, the, the end user. And I think Lilly fits squarely in that. So whether the market cap was there or not, I would still make the argument that it has the upside potential and staying power. To, to fit there and be toe-to-toe with the other six. All right, guys, coming up on the show. Snap, Eli Lilly, PayPal, PepsiCo are all reporting earnings next week. We asked our traders for the names they're watching. You'll have to find out which ones after the break. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Columbia Sportswear. You can catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. we got more Fast Money coming back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're not even close to the end of earnings season, so which name next week should we be watching for? Let's go around the horn. Bonneman will start us off here. Uh, listen, I'm going to broaden it out. I'm going to look at Cat. I mean, I mentioned Illy in the la- Lily in the last segment, but I think, listen, we talked about broadening out of the market, and I want to see if you're able to see that follow through from the old economy. And I think that also gives you a bit of a pulse in terms of China's strength, whether they're actually able to balance and what we're seeing on the manufacturing front. 
Karen, what do you think? Yeah, I'm looking at a couple of retail names, which is Capri and Tapestry, which both report next week on the same day. They're, they're, they have an agreement to merge, renames, right? Two, two companies with bad renames. Just call, yes. them, just call them uh, Michael Kors and Coach. And, and Coach, right. So I'm interested to see. I think those earnings aren't going to be great. And I think just as a risk arb by training, I think that maybe that spread will widen as people get worried. But the deal's tight. I think it will close. All right, Steve, what do you think? Chipotle. Chipotle stock has been on fire. Technically, it's above all its moving averages. It's, it's almost a $2,500 name. I think eventually you're going to see a stock split. Now, I, I, I get it. Stock splits do nothing fundamental for the name, but people buy right-way stock splits. That's number one. Number two, they, they're growing at a rate of 8 to 10% stores in the U.S., and out of those 8 to 10% are new stores, 80% of those are going to have Chipotle lanes, which are drive-through. Drive-through is a huge driver for revenues. And then, Dom, uh, the, the last uh, I'm saving, and it's not the least, international growth ability. This is a, a domestic story. Only about 2% of stores are outside the U.S. That's going to be a huge driver for the company. All right, Tim, what's, what's top of your list there? Uh, Estee Lauder. So it may not be one of the most important companies in the market, but it is the E in bicep. And, and it's a name that it, is beauty reports, <laughs> and it's not as pretty as Karen's Ulta. In fact, it's probably the ugliest duckling in the group. And we know that a lot of this is about China. A lot of this is about uh, a dynamic, and, and it's all about inventory that's been about destocking. And I don't know that the numbers are going to be great. And there's a concern that they could even guide a little bit lower. The story is a second-half recovery story. It's not terribly cheap, but again, it is so unloved here. Uh, and in our acronym game, at least, I'm playing with the house's money. It's about buying things that are bombed out. But I, I think on an earnings multiple, uh, this thing is going to cheapen up. Karen, uh, macro-ish question. Do you feel as though the earnings season is shaping up in a way that is constructive for that hypothetical bull narrative to continue? Well, I'd like to see more retail. I'd like to see a little more in the consumer. We've had some mixed things. We saw Capital One, which wasn't bad. Discover, on the other hand, so, you know, a little worse. Um, so that's sort of what I'm watching. I'm optimistic, though, and I can't help think of the markets colored by some of these gigantic earnings that we've seen. All right, guys. Meanwhile, options traders think one payment stock reporting next week could be in trouble. Let's bring in Mike Coe of Optimize Advisors. Mike, what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm taking a look at a firm, buy now, pay later. This obviously is an area of some interest. The options market right now is implying that this one could move 15% higher or lower after they report earnings. As big a move as that is, that's actually smaller than the 20% the company has averaged over the last eight reported quarters. And of course, there's two sort of opposing forces here. This company, Inc. deals with Walmart and Amazon, and that obviously could uh, propel them. But the other thing, of course, is that we have seen rising revolving credit delinquencies. And so that, I think, is something that a lot of people are going to have an eye on. And to Karen's point, is going to give us sort of an eye on how the, you know, the more credit-challenged consumers might be looking. And one of the bigger trades I saw today was a purchase of 2,500 of the March 37 and a half puts. Buyer paid four and a quarter for those. This stock was $41 at the close. So the buyer of those puts is looking for potentially a decline of uh, 20% or more by March expiration. That's uh, six weeks from today. All right. Those are some big trades there and some bearish bets. Mike Coe, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. 
Bonowin, what do we think about this? Listen, fortunately, there's no gun in my head, but if there were, I'd probably be more inclined to sell optionality here. 15% implied move, even though historically it's been 20. I think perhaps you might see a, muted, a more muted or at least delayed effect in terms of any consumer delinquencies. And if you don't get that, it's unlikely that you're going to see that type of move. All right. Can I make a funny? Make a funny. I'm going to try to Give make a, a funny on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> so uh, a firm is one of those buy now, pay later stocks. I think if you buy now, you're going to pay later. Oh. All right. right. You're happy with Tim. All right, Tim. All right, right, guys. Coming next is your final trades. Keep it right here. All right, it's that time. Final trades. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Walmart, I like buying stock splits. It was announced uh, January 30th. It's going three for one. I'm looking for 15% upside. Tim. Thank you, Tom. GE trades less than four. GE. Karen. GM. GM. Forget GM. Sorry. Um, Got to take some money off the table in Meta. Thanks for being here, Dom. All right. And Bonowin. Take profits in TSM. All right. Thanks very much, guys, for watching Fast Money. Have a great weekend. Man Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Boom. You did it. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.